So today we're going to be picking up where we left off last week. Um, we've begun a new uh, section in the systematic theology study. Right now we're looking um, at glorification in particular. And uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, when we were looking at death and trying to get an understanding of like death in the intermediate state, one of the things that I wanted us to take away from that is... Um, when we consider death, when we consider uh, how short this life is, that it would cause us to live with the type of urgency knowing that our days are few. Um, and as we consider glorification now and this hope that we have in the resurrection, um, what I want us to kind of a connection that I want us to make, like practical application of, of what. If I, if I can understand this hope more, if I can understand um, what we mean when we talk about glorification, um, how can that practically help me live day to day? And one of the, one of the ways that I think that um, this can uh, best be used when we take this truth and apply it to the way that we live is I think that it can be an anchor for our souls during hard times. Um, so that we have a true and lasting hope and so that we um, do not feel that all hope is gone but we understand that ultimately what God is doing in and through us even in the trials even in the difficult seasons of life is conforming us into the image of Christ and ultimately he will succeed in this Finally, with like an exclamation point on this thing, when he glorifies us like him, right? When we share in his glory. And that is a thing that I don't know that if we spent a lifetime considering it, that we would be able to uh, do justice to it. Um, and last week, as we kind of left off, one of the things that I kind of ask you to um, to explore, because we're going to be landing in Romans chapter 8 today, I'm going to actually go and read um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 briefly before we jump over there, because I kind of want to set the context um, for some of the things that Paul is going to be laying out here, right? So I'm going to start reading in chapter uh, 11 of 2 Corinthians um, in verse 23. Now this is not the beginning of this process of thought, but um, I figure it's a good enough starting point um, to kind of get the point across when we jump back over to Romans chapter 8. So last week we were in Romans chapter 5 verses 2 through 5 and we were kind of looking at this, um, what I would call like a a virtuous cycle and when I say virtuous cycle like this is a this is a cycle that um, once it completes and the next iteration of it begins we are moving forward um, in this process versus what I would call a vicious cycle which is um, what we often find in life that are that end up in spirals downward so this is a spot what we find in Romans chapter 5 is an 
upward spiral um, that's ultimately like the Holy Spirit working through us in it. So we it, that begins with God's glory. From that, um, we find we we uh, have hope, and then we endure suffering, and enduring suffering produces in us endurance, and endurance um, ultimately produces character, and that character doesn't leave us falling short, but indeed leads us into hope. And then that cycle continues, um, and we're left with more hope, not less hope. We're left with more character, not less character. We're left with more endurance, not less endurance. So um, all of that, that cycle being kind of fixed in God's glory, right? So today, let's begin reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Consider when we go back over to Romans that um, these events that we're going to read here, all of the things that Paul is going to list out for us here are things that he's experienced at the time that he's writing uh, Romans uh, chapter 8. So these are things that he's himself considering when we get when we get over there. So are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors. So how, how many of you, when you consider your life, consider um, the toil of your life, how much laboring you're putting in on a day-to-day basis? So Paul is here um, laying out. Um, essentially his boasting in suffering, and he begins with the labors that he has put forward. He says, far more imprisonments. How many here, um, maybe you don't have to raise your hand if you've been in prison, but uh, how many of you find yourself regularly imprisoned? Um, how many of you, how many of you find yourself so persecuted that on a regular basis um, you are imprisoned for the life that you're living? Um, he continues on with countless beatings. How many of you have ever been beaten before? I'm asking that question to you. How many? How many of you have ever been beaten? Okay, sometimes we feel like, you know, maybe our parents were a little too harsh in their punishment at times. Um, right? Okay. Um, Listen, mine were not countless. Mine were not countless. Okay. Um, I would ima- I would imagine that many times if you have been you probably have some amount of counting that was that was done in that regard. Um, Paul has been beaten so many times that he has lost count. And and if you want, were wondering how extreme those beatings that he received were, often they were near death. Okay, so he was nearly beaten to death. Oftentimes, and of the times that he was beaten, um, they were so numerous that he has lost count of them. Okay, and that's significant because what he says next, because it's not as though Paul hasn't accounted for his suffering, because the very next, the very next statement that he makes is five times I received at the hands of the Jews. The 40 lashes last one. So this is a particularly harsh 
type of beating. This is literally up to the point of death here. Um, and then save you one. <laughs> like, you'll die with the next one. So we're going to go up to the point of death and then we're going to restrain so that you don't die, so that you remember what it was that you were beaten for. And here Paul uh, says that five times he received this type of treatment. Uh, verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. So he, he has kept account. He can't give you the total number of beatings, but particular types, he's like, got five of those, got three of these, right? So three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, um, just a side note there, um, typically stoning results in death. So this wasn't like, you know, like somebody threw a rock and hit him one time. Like this was an attempt at taking his life. Three times I was shipwrecked. Every time I read that, I'm like, Paul, don't get on boats. <laughs> okay. Like uh, one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like if I were counting my, it would be like one time I was shipwrecked because that's all it would take for me to not get on a boat ever again. Okay. Three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day he was adrift at sea. Like he wasn't close to land on that one apparently because you would swim okay so a night and a day um adrift at sea on frequent journeys so i mean life took him everywhere <clears throat> in danger from rivers um this is this is interesting that he would mention this right because typically you don't think of rivers as being particularly dangerous but um in this case <clears throat> he was in in danger from rivers danger from robbers danger from his own people danger from gentiles danger in the city danger in the wilderness danger at sea danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many sleepless Many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from those other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. Okay? Um, who is weak that I'm not weak? Who is made to fall that I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Okay. So here we see all the trials. Not Well, maybe not all because he's literally lost count of, of a, a great deal of them. We see many of the trials of Paul's life. <clears throat> and I would ask, um, how many of us have endured such trials and hardships in life? Now, some of you possibly some of you possibly right how many of you would look at what he's gone through and be like that's light like what are you making such a big deal over that about like you're so weak paul how many how many of us when we consider what he went through would consider him to be weak N none at all none at all the point being is that Paul has not lived an easy life. And when we look at this, we all know that. So up to this point, Paul has endured all this hardship. And the question that I would ask you is how? 
How? How was how did he endure so much? And and I want us to notice down at the bottom there, like he's got this pressure on him that leads him to anxiety. Like he's his spirit is troubled for the churches. Yeah. For each other, for the health of the church, for the you know the growth of each other. That's what he's concerned about is like each other's growth, and it should be on our minds. Yeah, and it he doesn't consider that anxiety to be in a different category of all the other things that he's listing here, right? How many of you on a daily basis find yourself worrying, find yourself anxious? Not only are there pressures on you in life, but you have this like anxious energy stirring up in you. Right? He's he's putting that his worry, his anxiety for the church in the same category here as stonings, as beatings, as imprisonments. He's he's listing this out as part of these things, part of these trials, part of these struggles. Now, let's go. He's in, he's, he has endured this type of life when he's writing the book of Romans. And we're going to go now to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start reading in chapter 8 verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with who you are heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him so as Paul is laying out this hope that he's going to be putting forward here He's making a direct link between suffering, partaking in the suffering of Christ, and your hope for this glory in Christ, right? In order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, Paul, the one that we just read about, who listed out all of these trials, all of these things that he's endured up to this point, right? In verse 18, says this, so, he's, he's made this link between suffering and being glorified with Christ. And then he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay. Last week when we kind of left out, I, I wanted you to go through the week and I wanted you to, to genuinely consider the life that you've lived, the struggles that you've endured. Okay, Um, here's this is going to be hard for some of you to hear. Okay, you endure suffering, 
And what you desire more than anything is to forget about it. When you're in that moment of suffering, what you desire more than anything is for it to pass from you. Is this not true? Is this not true? Most of the time when we pray, that is the direction that we're praying. Right? Not that God would shape me in this, but that He would get me out of it. Right? Yeah. 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 What 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 is happening to your soul when you pray, Lord, let this pass from from me, let this moment pass from me? And He says, No, you're going to endure this moment, right? If you consider whatever it is that maybe you're facing now or that you faced in the past that you would have loved in that moment for God just to have delivered you from it. You know that he's sovereign. You know that he's all-powerful. You know that he allowed you to pass through that moment. Or perhaps there's a moment in the future that that will be the case for. Do you know, do you consider that what he has in store for you is worth that moment? is worth that trial, is worth that suffering. Is that what you think about when you're in your suffering? How is it? How is it that Paul, having endured so much, did not find himself laid up in a bed somewhere so anxious and depressed that he could not get up and go out and face the day? How is it? He was not heavily medicated. Right? He was not. He did not have the luxury of modern medicine. He didn't have Advil. He didn't have Tylenol. At times he was very alone. Or was he? Or was he? Right? I'm sure that there were times that just like you, just like I, that you feel like in your moment of suffering that you are alone. That is a lie. That is a lie, Christian. You are never alone. Never. I do not care how deep and dark that pit is. You are not alone in it. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? You are not alone in it. And when you find yourself there, okay, when you find yourself in those dark moments, those moments where you find yourself desiring more than anything to be set free from that moment, that's not sinful. Right? You wanting deliverance is not sinful. 
But you need to be delivered from more than anxiety. You need to be delivered from more than depression. You need to be delivered from more than your struggle for the day. You need to be delivered from your flesh. That flesh that in that moment would lie to you and tell you that you were all alone. You need to be delivered from that. You do. So sometimes God allows us to endure those moments. We're not alone in them. When you're there, when you want to forget about everything, I pray that you don't. Okay? I pray that you get through those moments. Most certainly, you will. Do not... Forget about them. Do not. Consider them. Those moments bring for you a perspective on life that sheds away much of the busyness that life can often bring. When you are at rock bottom, when you are at that moment where you feel like you are all alone. And it is you and God perhaps alone. Do not rush to forget or to pass by, but consider that moment. Consider it. Okay? Because... Your approach to facing that suffering and the thing that anchors you through it will be your hope that rests in God alone. Okay? So don't pass it by and wish to forget it forever, but consider it. Consider This is what Paul is doing here. This is not a man who's lived an easy life that says all those struggles that you're dealing with, they're not worth considering. They're not worth thinking about. This is a man who has likely endured more trials than many of us will face in a lifetime because the reality is, is that most of us live easy, comfortable lives. Most of us live easy, comfortable lives. Most of our trials, many of our trials, are self-inflicted. We don't find ourselves often on the receiving end of a beating to death. We don't find our ship dashed against the rocks, us swimming around in the dark looking for a plank to hold on to so that I can float for a day. Right? That's not most of our lives. Paul has lived such a life. And then he says here, For I 
consider that the sufferings of this present time, how can he consider that? How can he, how can he make a consideration about sufferings of this present time? How can you consider sufferings of this present time and come to the same conclusion that Paul comes to in this verse? Because you have experienced things before this present time. You have. Before the trials that you're facing now, you faced trials before that. Believer, you have experienced God bringing you out of or through trials. It's true that it might not have been as hard as it is now. Right? That's true. But those trials prepared you to consider. Also, the trials of the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you seeing them endure through those trials, anchored in the only hope that they could have that was lasting, will help you endure your trial today. You, looking back over the course of history, to see that God has been faithful year after year after year after year. Trial after trial after trial after trial. Not just for, not just for you, not just for us, not just for the church of our day, but for every generation. He's been faithful to see them through those trials. Know that that same God that was faithful and sufficient for them will be for you also. The same hope that anchored them will be the hope that anchors you. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This glory talk. Suffering glorified. Suffering's glory. Right? Like this link. This link. And I would go so far. I would go so far as to say that 10,000 years into eternity, resurrection has happened. That your best day here, your best day here, will feel like trials and struggles compared to to those days right compared to those days our suffering our struggles our trials awaken our soul to look somewhere else that's what he's intending them for here not that your trials are insignificant. Not that your trials are small. Not that they're bigger or smaller than what Paul's trials were. But that you, Paul has endured enough suffering. And as believers, we will too endure sufficient suffering that God brings our souls to this reality. Okay? That if you mounted up and collected every one of our sufferings, if instead of forgetting them, we made a large pile of them, right? We, we, we just collected all the sufferings of our generation and just put them forward so that we could see them. 
so that we could look and see how much suffering there is in the world. And then we go back to the generation prior and we take theirs and we put it on that same heap and then we just continue going back, continue going back, continue going back until we've accounted for the trials of all mankind. And we look at that. How small do you think it would be? How small? Um, I would venture to say that 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 um, if each struggle, if each thing that could be accounted for suffering was the size of a grain of sand, that in accounting for it, that it would be higher than the peak of Mount Everest. That it would be so high that you would not be able to see the top of it for the clouds covering it. And all of this suffering, all of this suffering that seems so large, if you could but see the glory He has, if you could just but glimpse it, it would so overshadow that thing that you think is large that your heart and soul would say there's no comparison to be made here. So that's why I say don't, don't seek to forget it so quickly. Because it was difficult. It is difficult. You may find yourself in that moment now. You may find yourself there now. Consider it. Know that, as bad as it might be, that it pales when compared to the hope that you have in Christ. It pales. It pales. It may seem life-altering. It may be life-altering. It may be a shipwreck of your soul. But consider it. Consider it. And this is where truth fixes us. Right? This is where truth matters. Is that in that moment that you're adrift at sea, your flesh will see only sharks where there are no sharks. You'll see fear in every direction. But the anchor that holds you that hope that you have that keeps you when you pass through it, whether it be in this life that, it's, that that anguish subsides or whether it be in the next, know that the truth is. Not what your spirit tells you in that moment, not what your flesh says to you, but the truth is is that when you see Him, those things won't be worth comparing. When you lay your physical, resurrected eyes on your Savior, those things will be something that pass to the back of your mind. Now, verse 19, he starts working towards um, giving us some ideas in this direction. 
for creation waits. So it's interesting that like he goes from this glory to be revealed to us and then it would seem like he's taking some type of detour, but he's in fact like going straight at this thing head on. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. This is why I say, like these these verses are why I say that the best day on the other side, or that your best day on this side is going to seem like suffering when you experience the best day on the other side, is because the life that you live here that is good has been subjected in hope, in hope, to futility, right? The life that you experience, the good things that you experience have been subjected by who? Who is it that's, that's here? For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who subjected it? Who is the one who, who subjects creation right now? God. This is God doing this. And this is so that, this is so that as we look to what's good, we see something that seems off. We see something that seems broken, even in the good things. So that we don't fix our eyes here, but that we look heavenly. That's what the purpose of that is. He's subjecting it to futility and hope. So in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the new creation that comes where we will walk with these resurrected bodies and enjoy this new creation, it will be better than what you enjoy here. The air will be fresher. The greens will pop like no other. There's a, there's a reason that when we look and we see like these glimpses of eternity, that things that we would consider precious are described as like that's the road. Right? That's the road. Gold streets. You walk on things that you would want to hoard and keep here. Right? What we have to hope for is so much greater than any of the pleasures that we can enjoy here. The pleasures that you will enjoy there will overshadow the pleasures that you enjoyed here. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we await, or as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, and this is specifically talking about the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. You, you see this pattern of hope, hope, hope that he's putting forward here. Now, Hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? So do you see this hope? Can you see it with your eyes? It would be too glorious to behold, I would imagine. Okay, so you can't see it, so how do you know? How do you know that it's great? How do you know that it's amazing? How, did it, how do you know that it's more than your imagination could ever encompass? 
consider the sufferings and weigh them against this promise. Because your sufferings, he's not saying they're insignificant. He's saying use that. If you're in the, if you're in the depths of despair, consider the joy that your heart will know when you're there. Because as deep down as that despair might be in that moment, the hope for rejoicing that you have is on the flip side of that and much, much more. So when you're there, when your flesh tells you that all hope is lost, rejoice there. Rejoice there. This is how, this is how throughout Scripture, the men who were persecuted and endured the most suffering could find themselves rejoicing. They weren't rejoicing because they loved pain. They were rejoicing because in considering their pain, it wasn't worth comparing to the glory that was ahead of them. It wasn't worth comparing. They had their eyes fixed, yes. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Right? This is back to that virtuous cycle. Patience, endurance. Right? You wait for it patiently. And waiting patiently builds endurance. Endurance, character. Character furthers your hope. And the process continues on. Um, Likewise... The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, and we know, again, this is a, this is a statement towards truth and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good do you know is it a statement of fact in your mind believer and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose for those he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son He's conforming you now into the image of His Son. And He does that oftentimes, not as you sit comfortably on your couch, but as you endure trials and realize your need for Him. Realize how your flesh falls short. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those who He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Do you remember the day that He called for you, believer? And those whom He called, He also justified. Know that you are not laboring today so that you can be right with Him. If you are a believer, if you've rested in the work of Christ, you are justified in the work of Christ. 
And those whom he justified, he also glorified. When you find yourself in the midst of suffering, when you find yourself in the pits of despair, do you know where your hope rests? Do you know? Is it a statement of fact for you? He will work in you to refine you through your trials. And there will come a day, even if it's not today, that you will realize that that is a true statement. Because he's faithful to it. right? He's faithful to that. And those whom he's justified, he also glorified. Like this whole thing, like, it is certain. He's he says this knowing that this, this glorification is a thing that's coming for us, right? There are none of us glorified. You have not received your resurrection bodies. So when we speak of our glorification, we ought speak of it as a thing that's coming, a thing that we hope for. But he's so certain of this truth that when he speaks of it, he speaks of the nature of who it is that's put this work in place. That there is a day that when we look at Revelation and we see this picture of people from every tribe, nation, tongue, gathered around the throne, when he looked out, he saw faces that were faces. Some of them may have been us. And if he had looked long enough, believer, you would have been amongst those. So the one who tells the end from the beginning has told us the end here. You will be glorified. You will be glorified. And on that day, when you consider your suffering, when you consider your trials, when you consider those things, you will know for sure then the certainty of this statement. And you will glorify Him and Him alone for all eternity. Now, next week we're going to um, be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to wrap this study up. We're going to consider the nature of this work of glorification, specifically the resurrection, and we're going to do that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, we're going to look at verses 35 through 58 there. We're going to look at the continuity between this life and the next, and also um, the dramatic transformation between this life and the next. And then that will that will finish up um, our study next week on glorification.